Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. So Acts 14. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by the hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out to the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to, be, to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God and for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that the Lord had done with them, and how they had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. And here's Simon. Thanks, Maggie. Cheers. Hey, good to see you, everyone. If you've uh, closed that part of the Bible, please open it back up again or flick open your 
um, app or whatever you have. Um, yeah, thanks Maggie, if you're welcome. I'm Simon, I'm the lead pastor, lead elder here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. It's really great to see you all and it's good to see a couple of faces back with us um, who we haven't seen for a little while. And as Maggie said, please do stick around for dinner uh, tonight, the soup outside or across that way smelling pretty good. So do stick around, that'd be great. Um, you know, I just thought I'd, you know, before I crack open the word tonight, um, just a few little brief announcements. Um, one is... Um, I was down preaching at our um, sort of one of our other churches in Port Adelaide, Anchor Church, this morning, um, and uh, it was a really good time with them. And they send their greetings uh, to you guys. Um, they're, they're going well, um, and uh, so they send their love and joy and kisses and hugs and lots of stuff. So remember them in your prayers. And the other thing um, I wanted to share was I was chatting to Davo Gunnings, and many of us will know Davo, who's the sort of the pastor of the Presbyterian Church that meets here in the morning and whose building we sort of borrow off them. And uh, they've been going through a really tough time as a church. Um, and uh, yeah, over the last 12 months or so since Davo sort of been in town, uh, just uh, it's been hard work for Davo. Um, a culture which has been quite inward looking from where I can, from what I can understand. Um, good news to share is that they over the past month or so have been seeing lots of new people turn up in the morning. And uh, Davo is just really encouraged by a change in sort of culture and outlook that that's kind of brought. So I just thought we could praise God for the way that he is at work um, through his word across this city. So down at Port Adelaide, um, here, up here in the morning through the Presbyterians. And, uh, you know, and praise God as well for Jake and Joe and others who've sort of launched the, the CD, worked really hard from what I, I know um, to pull this thing together. So praise God for you guys. And uh, yeah, do go to Spotify or one of those other cool places and you can listen to some cool music. Um, but uh, let's, let's crack open the Word of God. We're in the book of Acts. We're continuing in our series, Unstoppable. Um, please have it open in front of you. Acts chapter 14, as we open up God's Word tonight. Let's pray and give thanks to God for His Word. Father, we thank You and praise You for all the good things You give us. Oh, Lord, we praise You and thank You for uh, the things we've just thought about now, uh, Father. Uh, the way that You're at work, um, Your unstoppable gospel changing lives in Port Adelaide. Uh, the way that your gospel is continuing to shape and transform lives and culture here in North Adelaide. Thank you for the way that uh, you uh, give us the gift of music and song, uh, Father, to put great thoughts about you to a melody, um, and we just praise you for that gift, um, how it raises our hearts and our minds and our eyes to you, uh, Father, and strengthens one another. Uh, we pray with thanks for all these good things. And Lord, we now pray with thanks for your word. Uh, Father, we thank you for your honesty and realism uh, and the truth of your word. Uh, thank you for the way that you prepare us um, through your word, by your spirit, for life in this world. And Father, as we come to this part of your word, and, and we've read just before, already in this chapter, some really harsh experiences that your people went through. Uh, Father, we pray that you would once again prepare us for life in this century, in this time. Uh, Father, give us a secure knowledge that you are the God who is kind who provides and, and gives us everything we need in the Lord Jesus. So prepare us, uh, move us tonight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a picture of a fella on the screen. I don't know if you know this guy, John Allen Chow. Anyone remember John Allen Chow? Um, John Allen Chow, um, I don't know what you make of this guy. Um, he, young Christian fella, loves the Lord Jesus, young Christian guy, who went to a remote island off the coast of India uh, to reach the Sentinelese people. 
um, a group well known for being hostile to anyone sort of outside of their kind of group, and the Indian government largely kind of lets them kind of get away with their sort of attitude. Um, so he went, and he was driven off the island, and then he went back the next day, and he was killed by the Sentinelese, and they were unable to recover his body. I don't know what you make of his story. I don't know what you make of his story. Made the headlines all around the world. There was heaps of outrage. Heaps of people saying, you know, what an arrogant young fella. How imperialistic to go to this other people who didn't really want him. I don't know what you made of it. Um, I think when I think about John Allen Chow, I feel like a little, I'm a little bit conflicted, to be honest. Um, on the one hand, it seems like he did make some mistakes. Um, he didn't really think things through entirely, um, how he went about things. But on the other hand, I think he was extremely bold and courageous. A little naive, absolutely, but it's quite extraordinary, right? And, and with his willingness to do whatever it takes to get the good news of Jesus to a people group. There's something at least at that level I think most of us in the room would say is kind of pretty admirable, even if his methods were a bit flawed. I find his courage a bit challenging, personally. So the question we have tonight as we come to Acts chapter 14 then, you know, here's a missionary who's gone to the Sentinelese. The question I have is, what should a missionary do? What should a missionary church do? And Acts 14, I think, is as good a place as any in the, good, in the Bible to go to to sort of help answer that question. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been in this narrative, Acts chapter 13 and 14. And here we described in Acts chapter 13 and 14 the first kind of, I don't know, planned, intentional, deliberate missionary trip that we've ever come across in all of history. The first time a church, the church in Antioch in Syria, you know, kind of got to the point and we said, look, we've just, we've just got to tell other people about Jesus. We've got to send people out. We want them to experience the goodness of Jesus that we've experienced, so we need to do something deliberate. So they deliberately planned to head out and tell people about Jesus in various places. Paul and Barnabas, right, two key players, they're the ones sent out, off they go. They've been the two key guys, the two kind of, you know, Paul and Barnabas, two key people on this missionary journey. And there are three kind of key events that are highlighted in Acts chapter 13 and 14. Two of them we've covered already. Uh, firstly, the encounter with a sorcerer on the island of Cyprus in the city of Paphos. We've come across that. And then last time, you know, that Paul's standing up in the synagogue preaching about Jesus in Pisidian Antioch. And today, we come across Paul and Barnabas in the city of Lystra. So you can have a look at the map. I think the map's coming up. There we go. So they set out on the red line um, from Antioch in Syria over the, onto, the, onto Cyprus. Uh, they pop up from Cyprus, from Paphos to Perga, up to Pisidian Antioch, and now we find them sort of in that bunch of red dots there, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, on this first intentional ever in world history missionary journey to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Part of what's happening in these chapters, right, is, is Luke, the author of Acts, is trying to establish what does normal mission sort of stuff look like? What does normal missionary work look like? So these chapters, actually, 13 and 14, cover two years. I look at those two pages and go, that's like two minutes worth of reading, right? This is two years of gospel work. And they get as far as Derby before heading back to Antioch in Syria. That's when they trace back on the blue line. 
And I think the way Luke kind of repeats phrases in this section makes us think there's parts of which we sort of need to think of normal missionary work, even for us today. So in the opening seven verses of chapter 14, we get a normal pattern. What's happening? Well, um, when they ever get into a city, they first go to the synagogue to preach the good news to the Jews. Some of the Jews believe, some don't, so they then get moved on and they start sharing the good news with other people, not of the Jewish background. They get a mixed response. That's the first norm. They go to the synagogue first, then to the Gentiles. The second normal thing to happen is they meet a bit of hostility. There's growing hostility all around the place. And of course, the thing, thirdly, that is normal is everywhere they go, over and over again, they just emphasise the message of the gospel, the grace of God. That's emphasised all the way through. The good news of God is always there. So have a look, chapter 14 and verse 3. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace or the word of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. So Paul and Barnabas are performing signs and wonders. They're not saying, don't look at that. It's all to back up the authority they have to preach, you know, to preach Jesus. But the word of his grace is the phrase that keeps popping up all the time. The grace of the gospel. And of course, if you're a Christian... You know, there is the great distinction between Christianity and all other worldviews, systems, or religions. The heart of the Christian faith is that God gives. He doesn't demand anything from you. He just gives to you. In every other system, religion and worldview, it's all about achieve. You know, you earn your acceptance. You merit your place in heaven. There are certain standards that you have to live up to, and if you don't live up to them, well, then, you know, well, who knows what's going to happen. But in Jesus Christ, he gives. It's grace. And I think we take it for granted. But when you realise it afresh, it's an absolutely wonderful thing. For example, let's say that tonight you do stick around for dinner, you eat some soup, and then after eating some soup, you head out and you're on your way to your car or you're on the way to the bus on O'Connell Street to catch the bus home to wherever you live. And as you're walking back, you bump into this guy, right? This guy, is, you know, he's wearing a suit and he wanders up to you and says, we've never met, um, but you know, here are my credentials. I'm just going to give you $20,000. What would you do at that moment? I think I'd be going, whoa, like, who the heck are you, man? Like, that sounds nice, but... But then as you're talking to this guy, a policeman wanders past, and you say, oh, excuse me, officer, this guy is a, he's a little bit weird. Um, and the policeman says, no, 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 he's not weird at all. We know all about him. He's, he's totally legitimate. I can tell you, you can accept his word. The whole police force in Adelaide actually knows this guy. He's just a really lovely man. Oh, what were you going to say to me? I'm just going to give you $20,000. Oh. Why are you going to give me $20,000? Because I'm generous. Why me? Don't know. Just decided to give it to you. What have I done? You've done nothing. I just want to give it to you. How many questions are you going to ask me before you just take the money? Okay, I'll take the money. Like $20,000 and off you go. It's just a gift. What have you done? Nothing. Well, I think if you received that gift, right, I think you'd be telling that story for quite a long time. You'd go to work on Monday or whatever it is saying, guess what happened to me on O'Connell Street? I mean, this guy gave me $20,000. What did you do for that? Nothing. You know, if if it wasn't you tracking him down next week, you'd probably be sending your friends and relatives to go and find this man who's really legit wearing a suit, handing out $20,000. It's just a gift. 
Now, the heart of the Christian faith is this message of grace. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ gives. He gives us salvation from our sins. He gives us countless blessings. He gives you eternal life. And you've done nothing to earn it. Why you? Well, you can ask God when you see him. But it's a gift. And all these things are normal. Normal things going on in mission. Synagogue first, then to the nation. Hostility grows and the message of grace just keeps going on and on and on. But in the rest of Acts chapter 14, verses 8 and following, I think Luke decides to kind of shift our attention to two things. First, there's an unusual event that takes place in the city of Lystra with a sermon. There's always a sermon. And and second, there's the usual pattern of things, the normal sort of stuff that we expect to be going on. So two key points tonight. Here they are. Usual stuff. There's a sermon, then there's kind of unusual stuff, then there's usual stuff. Um, The first part really is like I think you could summarise that as don't fear. Second part, keep going. Let's get into it. Verses 8 to 18. And here I think the big idea is, just go back for me one more, Tran, sorry, is pagans should turn from worthless things to the living God. That's what we see. As Paul's in Lystra. So let me try and unpack that statement for us. Verses 8 to 10, they're on the screen. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, but Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Amazing. Unusual, right? You would say, that doesn't happen every day out on O'Connell Street, right? I'm pretty sure. Now, if you've been tracking with us through the book of Acts, um, or if you know this book of Acts fairly well, um, you might think, wow, this sounds a little bit familiar. And it is. You see, Luke stresses that all the things that the apostle Peter did back in the first half of the book of Acts, largely reaching out to Jewish people, he stresses that in the second half, Paul will pretty much do exactly the same thing. So a bit of a tangent, um, both Peter and Paul encounter a sorcerer and have to deal with them. Um, Peter in Acts chapter 8, Paul in Acts chapter 13. Both of them then preach a sermon to a Jewish audience based on Psalm 16. Peter, Acts 2, Paul, Acts 13. Both of them turn to a man who has been lame since birth. Same language in both accounts. They look directly at them, tell them to get up, and bam, they spring to their feet and they're jumping around. With joy, Acts 3, Acts 14. Now, I say all this, Luke's not kind of going, oh man, I'm just running out of ideas, I'm just going to repeat some stuff. I mean, he's not like, like a John Grisham novel guy, right? Who just kind of, same plot, different characters, murder, resolution. Like, no, Luke's making a theological point. These two different apostles are on about the same unstoppable gospel. And it has the same power. That's a bit of a tangent. Back to the main line. You you get this miracle, right? This miracle takes place and the crowd goes kind of a little bit bonkers, you could say, right? So have a look, verse 11 through to 13. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul they called Hermes because he makes perfume and handbags. No, because he was the chief speaker The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. It's pretty unusual. 
Every commentary you read on this particular passage tells you that in this remote backwater, this is like, this is like Hicksville of the Roman Empire. That's where we are. Um, they're not in a major city. They've been run out because of persecution from all the big cities. They find themselves in Lystra and Derby because of the rioting that happened in Iconium. This is a remote backwater, Lystra, Derby, farming country. And everyone in these parts of the world, Lystra and Derby, have in the back of their mind, perhaps in the forefront of their mind, a story, a myth. And the story you can read is in this book called Metamorphosis by a guy called Ovid. In Lystra, they believed that just a few years earlier in some ways, that Zeus, the god, and the god Hermes actually had come down to their city. The trouble was, no one welcomed them very well. No one opened their doors, gave them the bed to sleep in, fed them any food. Everyone kind of shut their doors and said, you're not welcome. The problem with that is, Zeus and Hermes, according to this myth, burned the whole city to the ground. This is a well-known myth. Now, if that's in your culture, if that's what you believe really happened, the last time Zeus and Hermes visited, we didn't welcome them very well and they trashed our city, what are you going to do when you think they've come back? You don't want to make the same mistake, do you? So you can imagine their sense of fear, right? They destroyed the place last time. Quick, get the sacrifices, put some garlands on them, strike up the band, quick, you know, let's make a big song and dance about this, lest they start shooting laser beams at us again and then we're all gone. We must placate the gods. We're fearful of them. Paul and Barnabas are horrified. Have a look, Acts chapter 14, verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, They tore their clothes, maybe a bit of an overreaction, and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. And with that, you then get this little sermonette. And the emphasis in this sermonette is Paul preaching in Lystra to probably a group of farmers. His sermon's all about creation. I don't think we're actually to take this as a a kind of a model sermon here. Paul doesn't seem to get to an end. He doesn't finish doesn't really talk about Jesus, that's kind of not really great, and there's no word of grace in this sermon. He kind of gets truncated, I think, because the temperature of the crowd is so hot, he kind of can't finish. But what he does say, remember, he's speaking to a group of people who are scared, who are fearful, who think we must satisfy the gods or else they're going to destroy us. What does Paul say to that group? He says three things. God created, God waited, And God is kind. I think that's a pretty good summary. God created, God waited, and God is kind. You see, three-point sermons began with the Apostle Paul, right? Like way back in the beginning of the day. But verse 15, God created. Uh, Friends, why are you doing this, he says? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. He created everything which means he rules over everything. It's all his. God created. Verse 16, he then waited. God waited. In the past, he let the nations go their own way. He let them kind of engage in foolish things and that sort of stuff. But by implication, not anymore. Something has changed. But now, verse 17, God is kind. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. 
He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. God is kind. Here's a, here's a message for the farmers to connect with. He gives you crops and he gives you rain. He gives them what they need. But it has absolutely no impact as far as we can tell in this particular story. Verse 18, they're still dominated by fear. What will happen if we don't placate the gods? What happens if they come back? What if they, don't, what if they destroy us? And into that sense of fear, Paul says, that's not what the living God is like. He is kind. He gives. And in Jesus Christ, he is the God who gives to you. He doesn't demand from you. And there's a world of difference there. Now, not many of us here tonight are farmers from the, black, you know, the back blocks of nowhere. I know a lot of us are from the Barossa Valley. Maybe that's the back blocks of nowhere. No, that's not, that's not true. I love the Barossa. But not many of us are farmers. Not many of us are in that kind of context, Right? But I think the point for all of us is don't fear a pagan superstition. That's the point of this sermon. You might say, but Simon, we're not like that. We're sophisticated 21st century Adelaideans. We're not not into superstitions. You know, many parts of the world, there is, I think there's a picture coming up, there's there's an obsession around the world with feng shui. Um, when buildings are constructed, when rooms are designed, you know, you must control the power. We must have the energy going in the right direction, otherwise the business won't go very well. Let's talk about feng shui in buildings in the major cities all around the world. I'm told that the most feng shui building in all of the world is the London Apple Store on Regent Street. Anyone ever been there? The London Apple Store on Regent Street. Legitimate. Because it's the, why? Because it's the most successful Apple Store in all of Europe. He has the greatest feng shui. Either that or Londoners are just massive consumers of Apple products. I don't really know. But there you go. You decide. But, you know, but I've travelled around the world a bit. I've travelled through Southeast Asia. Lots of homes, lots of parts of the world, lots on the streets. Are the little sort of shrines or food parcels and, and beverages put out, really, in many ways, as far as I know, to, to help that the gods would bless them. And, of course, there'll be some of us here tonight who come from cultures where there are strong beliefs in ancestor worship. And from what I know, that's, that's a mix of both respect and fear. You know, if you don't placate the ancestors, life won't go well in the here and now. A lot of it's driven by fear. But Paul says, don't fear. There is only one true and living God. You don't need to placate him. He gives to you in Jesus Christ. Now, for Westerners, right, for most of us in the room, like, the, you know, we, we probably don't, I don't know, we don't, probably don't operate fully on the sense of feng shui or shrines to ancestors or things like that. But I think fearing life is kind of out of control. We fear a lot of things. Many of us do. And, and you know, can you do something to placate the gods so that you feel more in control in the middle of your fear? Here's one strange idea that I had no idea about. So just recently, we at City Light Church North Adelaide have have hired a desk, like an office space down the road on Prospect Road. It's a co-working space, and so I spend a fair bit of time there hanging out with people from different backgrounds and doing different businesses and things like that. It's really great. Anyway, I got to talking to one of them the other day, and a few of us then got talking about tarot. You know, tarot cards, tarot reading? 
Um, you know, where people spread out cards and use those to kind of determine the future and what's going to happen in your life and things like that. And I, I mean, I hadn't really ever thought about it, to be honest, but there was this sense around the room, like, yeah, we, we're into this stuff. And I'm like, really? You're into this? So we got talking. And then I realised it's actually on the rise. Tarot card reading. So it made the front cover of the New York Times a few times. It made the front cover of the Economist magazine. It's quite significant, tarot. I thought it was just a bit of fun, nonsensical silliness, but apparently not. It's on the rise. So I read an article about this woman. Her name's Daisy War. She's a tarot reader, and um, she makes a living from this. She was asked in this article, why has tarot become so popular? You know, you're making a living from it. I, I, and I thought her response was really quite interesting. She said this, Our 24-hour news flow constantly rams home the idea that life is teetering on a cliff edge, that the economy is teetering on the edge of collapse, and politicians are teetering on the brink of taking us into conflict. You know, news flow, making us fearful. And then she goes on, Whilst once people might have turned to organised religion, today we are left with a void, and in that void, tarot offers spiritual perspective and offers people hope. I'm fearful, pay me some money, I'll tell you the future, I'll give you some hope. Here is how you can placate your fear. Daisy was asked, what are the things that people most want clarity on? What are their biggest fears, their biggest anxieties? Unsurprisingly, she said it was sex, money, love and career. Sex, money, love, career. Four biggest anxieties. Maybe family, kids in there, maybe under love, I don't know. Top four anxieties. How often do you consult the cards, she was asked. She says, quote, I find it impossible to make any decision, big or small, without consulting the cards. What a crazy level of paralysis. Intense fear. I couldn't help but think of the famous quote from G.K. Chesterton. When a man stops believing in God, he doesn't then believe in nothing. He believes in anything. Fear. Why tarot? Daisy Wall would say fear. Why tarot? Yeah. People fear lack of control over sex and money and love and career. And Paul would say, don't fear any pagan superstition. Don't fear. Know what God is like. God is creator. He made all things. He sustains all things. He rules over all things. God waited. Everything now has found its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is kind. He's not demanding. You don't need to placate him with offerings. He gives to you in Jesus. In fact, he pays for everything that you owe. So turn, Paul would say, from worthless idols and trust in the living God. That's the unusual incident. I think after this, we get a bit more normal stuff that happens around the place. So let's push on into verse 19. And my second point, which is Christians should persevere in preaching Jesus and strengthening believers, verse 19 through 28. So Paul's speech isn't all that effective, you'd have to say, verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. It's really interesting, isn't it? One minute they're like lauding these guys for God's doing as God's doing amazing things, and the next minute they're siding with these visiting Jews who then want to crush Paul and Barnabas. And just note for a second, right? If you know, these guys are really angry. These Jews have come to Lystra. Um, if you're in Lystra to come from Antioch, where they've come, that's like 150 kilometers, right? Like that's a fair way. 
That's, that's motivated anger, isn't it? To kind of go 150 k's. Oh, I hate those guys, Paul and Barnabas. I'm going to go 150 k's to kind of crush them. That's pretty much what they do. Paul and Barnabas, they've been driven out. They're preaching. And then let's go and let's get them there. So verse 19, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he's dead. It's easy to read, isn't it? But it's awful. They stoned Paul, dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Stephen was the first martyr in the Christian church we read of, and they stoned him to death. And the stones they used, I had one before, right? They're not like little pebbles that you might buy at Bunnings. These were like stones pelted at him one after the other after the other until he was basically thought to be dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. It's a brutal thing. Such anger to stone someone to death. But he survives. Amazingly, he survives. Paul survives this stoning. And in verses 21 through 25, we get a summary of the sort of things that, well, they did on their travels. So on this two-year journey, right, verse 21, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So here's the first thing, right? They preach the gospel. It's obvious, right? I mean, what would you do, right? You've just been stoned. You've almost died. You've been dragged onto your feet. You've been carted off to a new city. What would you do if you was in your situation? Just preach the gospel again, wouldn't you? I'm thinking I'd be looking for a Panadol and a, and a, and a comfortable bed and a warm flannel on my forehead and a few people just going, it's going to be okay. What does Paul do? He gets almost killed and he's like, let's get on with it, guys. Let's preach that gospel. Like, it's unbelievable. It's very impressive, I think you'd have to say, yeah? He got up and he kept preaching in Derby. Verse 25, he got up and he kept preaching in Perga. He just keeps going. Whatever the cost, he just keeps preaching. God is creator. God has waited. God is kind. Supremely seen in Jesus Christ. You've got to trust him. He just preaches the gospel. Secondly, though, as well, they strengthened disciples in the faith. Verse 21, the second half. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. I don't know if we can get the map up again, Trent. Is that possible? You're the technical guru. This is quite impressive, right? And it's really interesting. If you look at the map, so they go out, right, on the red line. Everyone follows that? Yep, got that. They go out on the red line. They end up in Derby. Um, Paul's a bit battered and bruised. Um, What they then do is they kind of backtrack along the blue line. Can you see that? Now, Paul is from a place called Tarsus. Can you see that in the middle near the word Cilicia? So he's from Tarsus. Paul, right, he's probably not in the best shape. Like, he's probably a bit beaten up. He probably could have thought, we want to get back to Antioch where the, you know, the big um, gold sort of button is. We want to get back there. I'm not feeling very good. I could go to Tarsus where I'm from and I could get a home-cooked meal from mum and dad. Like That's what I could do. Wouldn't that be nice? A bit of TLC and then we'll end up back in Antioch. He doesn't do that. Why? You know, if you're in, you're in Derby, right, and you punch into Google Maps, quickest way to get to Antioch, it's not going to send you along the blue line. 
It's going to send you straight back down. That's what your GPS is going to do. What they determined to do is they determined to go back along the blue line, all the churches which have been established where people have come to know Jesus, they go back through there to encourage them in the faith, to build them up, to strengthen them. If you were Paul, you could have dropped in for a home-cooked meal, but no, they go back the way they've came to keep encouraging, to keep strengthening those who've put their faith in Jesus. That's what any church should be doing. These two things, preaching the gospel and strengthening disciples to keep going, to keep going. Note that phrase, remaining true to the faith. By this stage, there's clearly some body of work that is now probably what we call the New Testament, but not fully formed in that time. But this this body of truth, which is called the faith, remain in the faith. And do you notice that special point made in verse 22 about how they strengthen? He says, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. You know, Paul's probably standing there, right? Lumps on his forehead, bruises, blood coming out of somewhere, I don't know. And he says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Yeah, Probably. You're a living testimony. Keep going. It's not always straightforward, the Christian life. And that's not always super popular. In Sydney, there was a guy who was part of our church, and he was um, a concierge at one of the apartment blocks in Sydney, and uh, it near where the church was. We were in a pretty fancy part of Sydney, and there are all these fancy apartment blocks. I've never lived in an apartment block where there's been a concierge. You know, someone who opens the door when you come home from a hard day at work and presses the button on the lift and up you go and have a nice night, Mr Jackson. You know, that's never been my experience. Um, we had this guy, a concierge, and, and he was a young Christian guy um, and he, he would spend a lot of his time, you know, concierging behind the desk, um, watching lots of stuff on YouTube, like Christians on YouTube, um, preaching and teaching and, and a lot of the stuff he was drawn to was from the prosperity gospel you know, believe in Jesus and your life will be great, healthy, wealthy, happy, beautiful, all that sort of stuff. And um, he kept imbibing this stuff. And I caught up with him a couple of times, actually, and he said, Jacko, like, you know, Simon, like, I'm watching the stuff and, like, life's, this, look, I trust in Jesus, but my life is nothing like what these guys are talking about. And I said, because probably what they're talking about is not true. Jesus never promises us health, wealth, and beauty in this life. In fact, what Paul says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I spent a lot of time with this guy just kind of undoing some of the things he was learning for hours after hour as he was concierging. He continues to this day, trust in Jesus. It's not always popular, is it, to, to say to people, you know, trust in Jesus and we must enter many, we must do, go through many hardships. But as we strengthen believers, as we do that amongst us here at church at North Adelaide, as we do it in our DGs, we must do it with the truth, with the reality that following Jesus isn't all bells and whistles and smelling roses. It's, it's hard. And we need each other. Because in this life, we will go through hardships before we enter the kingdom of God. It's just how it is. I think it's wonderful how God prepares us for this stuff. He doesn't beat around the bush. He tells it like it is. Don't be surprised. So here are the normal things they did. They, they, they preached the gospel. They strengthened disciples. And in one sense, you could just summarise what they do by saying, keep going. They just keep 
going. There's real perseverance here. You know, they're driven out of Pisidian Antioch in chapter 13, verse 50, where they preach the gospel. In chapter 14, verse 6, they're forced to flee out of Iconium. In Lystra, they're stoned, and they just keep going. They just keep going despite the hostility, the lumps, and the bumps. So, brothers and sisters, keep going. Keep going. A great example of keeping going, and, and I think courage in the midst of hardship, is, is this woman. Um, Asia Bibi. I don't know if you followed her story. Um, Asia Bibi, um, a woman from Pakistan, a Christian, loves the Lord. Um, almost a decade ago, um, she drank from a metal cup when she was working um, at a well. Some of her Muslim neighbours were outraged. They said, we, you know, we mustn't share a cup with you. If we share a cup with you, you'll, we'll, we'll be contaminated. You know, it was a a mix of religious system and also a caste system which sort of drove this thing. They were outraged. They assaulted her. They beat her up in front of her children, her you know, and kids, and she was imprisoned for this, for drinking out of a metal cup. She was imprisoned for almost over nine years. The Supreme Court of Pakistan ultimately declared that she was innocent. She must be freed. When she was freed, riots took place in Pakistan. Other governments refused to give her asylum for fear of the riots, I mean, I thought it was pretty pathetic. She's now found asylum in Canada. But here is a woman who, in the midst of severe persecution for her faith in the Lord Jesus, she just kept going. It's well documented, actually, that when she was being beaten in front of her own kids, she said to the women who were doing it, she said this, I quote, I believe in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for the sins of mankind. What did your prophet Muhammad ever do to save anyone? You might question her wisdom at that point. But what, what extraordinary bravery. I believe in Jesus, who died to save us. I believe in the God who gives, who is kind. Not like your Allah who demands, 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 demands. Live a good enough life and good enough life and you might live forever, maybe. I believe in Jesus who gives, who is merciful even when we don't deserve it. I think I think Asia Bibi is an extraordinary example. That Christians must persevere. We must persevere. So to wrap it up, Acts 14. Don't fear, keep going. Don't fear, keep going. Don't fear superstition of any kind. God is kind. In Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, we have everything we need both now and forevermore. He's died for us. He's paid for our sins. He's absorbed God's wrath. He's promised us eternal life. Even the death cannot destroy. He gives us blessings we don't deserve. Don't fear. Don't fear. And just keep going. Sharing the gospel, encouraging other disciples. I think that's what a missionary should be like. I think that's what a missionary church should be like. Don't fear, keep going. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for all the good things you give us. Father, we praise you for your word. Father, we praise you for your word that in so many ways just tells us what we are to expect as followers of you in this world, in this life. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for the example that we have in this passage of people, your people, who uh, despite threats of persecution, they keep going. 
Despite real harm, they keep going. Father, help us to be um, a little bit like them. Father, help us to, to not fear. Help us when we do fear those things in our lives, whether that's um, sex, love, and money, and career. Help us to trust you. Help us to know that you are good, that you are kind, that you are sustaining all things. And Father, we pray as well that you'd help us to keep going. Father, when it's hard to trust you, help us to keep going. Father, help us to keep encouraging one another, strengthening one another as we live the Christian life, as we seek to make Jesus known. We thank you, Father, that by your Spirit you are with us. You promise to be with us to the end of the age. So help us by your Spirit to keep trusting Jesus, to keep preaching Jesus, and to keep encouraging all of Jesus' people. And we ask this, Father, tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.